there's always a reason not to be inconvenienced. <laughs> like, there's always a reason to not complicate your life, but that's not what God calls us to. Yeah, and so as we sorted through those emotions, it was like this resolve of this is a calling that the Lord has placed on our lives. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. Would you mind leaving us a review today by leaving a review and a rating? It does help other people to find us and would be a huge help. Using your favorite podcast platform, go to our show and leave a rating along with a review, and perhaps next week we will mention you on the show. Did you know that there are over 391,000 children and youth in foster care in the U.S.? Perhaps you're thinking, what does fostering a child even look like? Or, I'm not sure I'm capable of helping a foster child. Isn't that for the super Christians? You may not have known, but May is National Foster Care Month, and today's guest, Jessica Matheson, shares with us the incredible story of her family's fostering journey and what led her and her husband to decide to offer their home to foster children. Jessica and I discuss what it means to trust God with the details of growing your family and the fact that God's plan may not always look the way we expect. She also provides helpful encouragement to foster parents who may be going through a tough season of feeling discouraged or burnt out, and she provides some practical tips for the church family to come alongside and support foster families. We pray this conversation encourages you or someone you may know who is fostering to stay the course. We also hope it plants a seed for our listeners who are considering opening their hearts and their homes to a child in need. But above all, we pray that this episode would encourage every Christian to trust in the Lord and to see how the gospel works its way in our broken world. Well, today my guest is Jessica Matheson, and our topic is fostering children. Jessica Matheson is a wife, a mom, an author, a Bible teacher who has blessed thousands of readers with her insights into her journey through singleness, marriage, infertility, motherhood, and fostering. Jessica, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on Candid Conversations. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so looking forward to our conversation. And you are hiding out from your children in your minivan. Yes, I am. (laughs) That's a a first time for me, though we had some strange interviews during COVID uh, with people in lockdown. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) um, you've written two books, Praying for Your Foster Children, A 30-Day Guide, and An Overwhelming Hope, How the Spirit Brings Peace to Our Storms. I wonder if you just start out and tell us a little bit of your background, your story, sort of the story behind the story, and then we'll kind of jump into the topic a little bit more. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a Christian family, and I was somewhat familiar with adoption growing up, Um, but it wasn't really anything that I had a, I guess, real life personal experience with. Um, 
And now looking back, I actually realized that there was adoption in my family line that I just wasn't aware of with extended family. And so I'm like, okay, it was actually there and I just didn't really know. (laughs) Um, But my husband and I met um, almost nine years ago now, and we talked about adoption like on our first date. And and then when we had been married for a little bit, you know, we were trying to have our, our family grow our family through biological children and it just wasn't happening. And so foster care came on our radar. But before that, you know, I had been an elementary school teacher. My husband actually worked in ministry as well. And so we just, you know, we really had a heart for children. I had seen the devastation that could come to kids and just the far-reaching ripple effect in a negative way that happens when kids don't have a stable home environment through being an elementary teacher and just seeing kids that were in some rough situations. And so there was always just kind of that tug on my heart of wanting to help kids in vulnerable situations and that came from hard places. You know, we, we, you do, you see the stories, uh, whether it's on the news or it's portrayed in television and movies. So, you know, for those of us who have kind of a vague picture of that, help kind of fill in the gaps. I mean, was it similar to that and what you were seeing in the school system and through some of these relationships or was it sort of better, worse? How, how would you kind of describe yeah, it? That's a good question. I think that, you know, A lot of the times we want to stereotype and kind of put everything into a box of, well, kids who are in care come from this type of family and this is the story. But every case is so different. Different. And we found that to be true. Um, We have had the privilege of fostering six children. Is it six? Five, six. Um, And so we... um, through each of the situations, all of their stories were just wildly different. And of course there were some commonalities, but everything was so different. And, you know, it wasn't just like the, you know, dateline report of a uh, mother strung out on drugs. And, you know, there were just so many different situations. And so yeah. some of it was better than you would have thought like, Oh, well I can see how, this is where things got turned around and with some support, this family is going to be able to pull through and this is not going to be the end of their story. And and then some of it was worse where it was like, no, like they can't go home, you know, (laughs) Um, where you see a situation of like, there's no repentance. There's no desire for change. Like the Mm. child can't go home. And of course that's always devastating because, Mm. you know, God created us for our family and he placed us in the family that he placed us in for a reason and a purpose. And so it is hard to see when children are not able to be a part of the family that God placed them in. Um, That's always heartbreaking. Mm. You mentioned at the beginning that your sort of arc into um, fostering started with infertility. I wonder if you can kind of walk us through a little bit of that. We've done a few episodes in this uh, capacity and and have a, a hyper awareness of just how prevalent that is uh, mm-hmm. in our communities and just how people treat it, how they respond to it. If you could kind of walk us a little bit through that journey, if you're comfortable with that, um, you know, and then, and then kind of how that uh, sure. into the fostering world. Yeah. So we had been married, I think for, it's all fuzzy now, but I think it was two years or so. And when you're doing an interview out of your minivan, 
thing to get fuzzy. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know how long ago it was now, but we have been married for a couple of years and, you know, wanted to grow our family through biological children, as many do. And, you know, that just seemed like that's all, that's the obvious next step, right? You know, I mean, it feels like when, as soon as you're married, people, oh, well, are you thinking about kids? Right. <laughs> when yeah. are you going to have kids? How many right. kids do you want? Right. Um, so, you know, I, I, I have always said, I felt like I was born to be a mom. I've always loved children. Um, and so just that desire was always a part of me. And my husband also loves kids. And so that was our hope. That was our desire. And then it was not happening. And I had some women's health issues that we needed to deal with. And through that process, we, you know, it's, it's hard because you feel like you're in this holding pattern because your friends that got married around the time you did, they're all starting to have kids and you're kind of thinking that you're behind or that they all get to be a part of a club that you're not a part of. And you're a part of a club you never wanted to be a part of with infertility. You're like, well, I didn't never want to be in this group. Um, and so there is like, there's the shame and embarrassment and the disappointment. And so there's so many different emotions to work through. But as we were kind of working through, like, um, making sure that I was getting the support that I needed and some of the health issues that I was walking through, there was this feeling of like, we want to, we want to parent, we want to love children. And in our church culture, the community that we were a part of, there were a lot of people who were becoming foster parents. And, you know, yeah. there were also some adoptive families, but particularly foster care was something that was becoming more and more prevalent in a good way yeah. as far as families stepping up within our mm-hmm. church community at the time. And so it was something that was kind of on our radar. And there was a conference at our church that we were attending that they hosted, um, that a local nonprofit hosted at our church. <laughs> and it was free. So we said, you know, why don't we go and some friends of ours had actually attended the conference the year prior they also had struggled with infertility and so they attended looking to learn about adoption and so the the conference was for foster and adoptive parents and if you were curious and wanted to learn more and hadn't adopted hadn't fostered you could also attend and so we decided to go and we i mean it was like drinking from a fire hose we were so overwhelmed but we couldn't unlearn what we learned that day and you know driving out of the parking lot we just kind of looked at each other because we had gone to the main sessions together and then kind of divided and conquered and gone to a couple different breakouts and everything. So we had kind of been together, but not together the whole day. And so my husband and I just kind of looked at each other. His name's Rory. And we were like, well, what are you thinking? <laughs> and this now looking back, I'm like, this was totally the Lord because my husband he's like much more of a slow processor. Like it takes him time to really like make decisions. And whereas I'm like, Oh, this is what we should do. Do And now I'm like, this was a miracle because we pulled out of that parking lot and he was like, I think we're supposed to do foster care. And I was like, yeah, me too. (laughs) And I'm like, that was literally the Lord because knowing him, I'm like, that, that was the Lord. So yeah. So we started that process and I think, you know, the, the conference was like in spring of that year and, um, you know, it took a while for us to kind of get to where our schedules could accommodate for the trainings because at that time, I think it's changed since now, but at that time you had to go to like three consecutive Friday nights in a row. for like yes. three hours you know it was just a lot um so it was like we had to wait until we had three friday nights with nothing to be able to do that um yeah right and attended the trainings and six months later after we had started those trainings we were finally approved 
So it's pretty much a year after that conference when we were finally approved as foster parents and welcomed our first placement in. Wow. Okay. I wonder if you could just take me to that time frame. It might be fuzzy. Yeah. <laughs> time frame in between infertility and and going to this fostering, uh, you know, be, being in a church where that was kind of a, an option and a, mm-hmm. a uh, what emotions, what, how are you dealing with what God was doing in your life? How, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, you'd mentioned sort of those, those emotions that do come in that a lot of um, couples go through when they deal with infertility, the sort of shame and uh, fear, anxiety, we're being left behind feeling. So, so how did, how did you process those feelings and emotions before you kind of came to this place? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for us, and I'm I'm really glad you asked this because I think a lot of people assumed that we were pursuing foster care because of infertility. Right. And for us, it was like, no, we're not just like, oh, we have to have a kid. So let's figure out a way to do it just any way we can. You know, it wasn't like these kids were like a second option or something or, you know, plan B. So for us, it was like, okay. We, we really did know and believe my husband more than I did. Cause I was really struggling as the woman, but we really did know and believe that the Lord would open my womb at some point and praise the Lord. He has mm-hmm. since then we have two biological kids, but we didn't know when that was going to happen. And to us, it just didn't really make sense for us to have, you know, at that time we had like a three bedroom home and it was two of us. Like, it was like, we have this empty space. We feel this call, like we can make all kinds of excuses, whatever about like it not being the right time, but like, is it ever going to be the perfect time? You know, (laughs) even for biological children. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) There's always a reason not to be inconvenienced. (laughs) Like there's always a reason to not complicate your life, but that's not what God calls us to. And so as we sorted through those emotions, it was like this resolve of this is a calling that the Lord has placed on our lives. And we feel this desire to enter into these hard places. And we know that we don't really know what we're saying yes to. And now if we had known, like we I don't know that we would have said yes, because it was a lot. It's been crazy, but it was like an obedience thing for us, you know? And Mm -hmm. so we had to kind of work through those fears and those questions and, you know, the insecurities because we didn't want to be disobedient. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and I'm uh, presuming here, but I mean, the Lord carried you through that Well, he didn't sort of say, Hey, and my desires for you to, follow these things and I've equipped you for it, but, and then abandon you. Right. (laughs) It's that he goes through the process with you, you know? And so if anything, it forces us to rely more on him, which is, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's the trait. That's where we want to be, right. Where we're exactly growing in our dependence on the Lord. Okay. So, so now we'll transition from that into the end of fostering. So you'd mentioned sort of five to six kids, all right, paint some of this picture. What's sort of your some of the timelines? How long are kids with you? Right. What's the duration of their time with you? And 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 I imagine there's a lot of fragility in the middle of all this. Oh yes. A lot of unknowns. <laughs> you don't know when yes. the kid's gonna get taken back or stay with you or what you know. So walk us through a little bit of uh of, of, of the roller coaster ride that I assume uh, yes. fostering is. 
a roller coaster is a perfect way to describe it. Um, so our first, and I just was thinking it's, it's been five kids. I was like, how many? Okay. So the first placement was three, um, elementary school age siblings. So we went from like never having parented to having like three children. (laughs) They were 10, eight and seven. It was two girls and a boy and the boy was in the middle. So an older sister, younger sister and the middle boy. And they were with us for a summer and that was wild. Absolutely wild. Um, and it was, it was really difficult in some ways. There were some difficulties that, um, the kids ended up having to be removed from our home, not by our choice. Um, but just because of just some really extreme behaviors and things and just some really hard stuff. But we saw the Lord do some incredible things in their lives and they were able to reunify after having been in care, I think for over a year, like it took a while, um, but they were only with us for a short while, but we saw the Lord redeem and do so much in their lives. And we actually, you know, the girls were actually able to go cause they were, they ended up splitting the kids up, but the girls were able to go to another place that was like a believing family that was like a friend of a friend of ours. And it was just like only the Lord could do it. So that was really cool. And then after that, we took a break for a little bit. I ended up literally like right when they left, I miraculously was able to get pregnant with our first biological child. So that was crazy. And there was also in the midst of that, like my fear again, kind of rose up. I was like, well, maybe we should stop fostering. Um, I've never had a baby, you know? And my husband was like, no, we said that if you were to get pregnant, we were going to keep going with this. And I was like, yeah, that was before, you know? (laughs) And he's like, no, we said we're going to do it, you know? So yeah, yeah, I was, I got scared. Fire with three. Yes, exactly. uh, So I was like, I don't know if I want to keep going. I'm scared. But so we, we took a break because we were, we moved, it was in the same town at the time, but we were moving to a different house, a bigger house. And we were moving because we wanted to have more space to foster and be closer into town and closer to kind of our support system and stuff. And so after moving and kind of getting settled and I got through like the first trimester, I guess, and second trimester, I was six months pregnant and we had a 15 year old girl come to live with us and she is still with us. She's ours. So that was like four years ago now. And then in the summer of 2020 to 2021, so like June, 2020 to July, 2021, we had a 12 year old girl live with us for a while. So that's been our, we've had all over and we just kind of, at this point, we now have moved from the town that we were in. So we live in a totally different town now. And where we're at now is that we're not actively taking any placements um, because we just don't have space in our house, in our new home. But we are trying to be open and just be mindful of like what God wants to do right now. Our oldest is 20. And so we're trying to figure out how to raise or how to help launch a 20 year old. And we're like in our mid thirties. So that's, that's enough. And two little ones. So, (laughs) well, let's talk about that for a second. So, uh, you know, obviously God has given us uh, somewhat rational minds. Uh, (laughs) Let's talk about balance. So, you know, we did talk about earlier how there's a place where like things like this will always be inconvenient. Uh, but at the same time, there's a balance with that because then there can be sort of uh, being careless, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you were, mm-hmm. if you were to bring in, and maybe the system wouldn't even allow that, but I mean, if you were to bring in too many 
kids at one time right. to the point where you can't actually play your role or do your job well. So how do you kind of weigh out and measure, you know, that's that's probably you and your husband having conversations and, and talking mm-hmm. about what's, you know, so so what's like stretching and what's like debilitating? How do you? Right. Uh, that's you a know? really good question. I think that that depends on every you know, couple, family, and, you know, there's also single people who foster. That depends on every foster parent's capacity. And because, you know, we all, and I'm sure you know this through parenting biological children as well, like we all have a different set of expectations, a different perspective of parenting, you know, different experiences that have informed how we're going to parent, whether that's foster parenting, adoptive, biological, whatever. We all have this lens of like, this is how it goes. And then our kids show up and they're like, no, I don't want it to go that way. And so, Welcome to and, my world. Know, so <laughs> and then we're like triggered and we're like, oh my gosh. So I think that when it comes to how do you know when to say yes, when to say no, yeah. I think it's just really a, a matter of depending on the Holy Spirit for mm-hmm. wisdom. Because for us, mm-hmm. I think that we would have thought that we'd have like kept on having kids come in and out. And, um, but the last couple of years for our family, we've had a lot of stuff that we've gone through. We went through a move, we had job loss, we had all kinds of different things. And so in order for us to care well for our family, like we can't just keep saying yes out of guilt or shame or fear because that I think every foster parent would tell you that they think that they should be doing more and wish that they could do more because they know the burden and they know the, um, there's the urgency yeah of the need that's a good point because those are unhealthy motivators right right versus exactly healthy motivation which is kind of what you talked about at the beginning which was what the lord impressed upon you and your husband at that time and i think it's important to say here not everyone is called to this exactly so Mm -hmm. it's not you know even if you've got friends or, or a church community that's really good about this And we'll circle back around to this because later on, I want us to talk about how people who are not called to this can still help and serve Mm -hmm. and and play a role uh, with foster families. But I think it's important because I think you could listen to an episode like this and then think, oh, now I feel guilty and I feel like I need to do something. That's not necessarily the case because, as you said, one, I think the couple needs to be unified on making that decision always <laughs> and, and two, guilt shouldn't be your motivator. It should be a desire to, to help in a particular calling, I think on your life. Um, I wonder if you could, I'm trying to think if this is a good time for this, but maybe give a little bit of insight for families who may be listening to this, who are thinking about going down this path, what's sort of like a high level you know, when it's just the, the, the seedling of the thought is in their mind, you know, what, you know, you pretend you're at the beginning of your journey, you know, what sort of seed would you want to plant right. um, for you at that point? I think just to be open and to be mindful of the fact that God's going to grow your family and lead your family in the way that he wants to. And it could look very different than what you thought. And that's okay. Um, and my mom always jokes that, you know, she's like, your family looks like the, the United Nations, like, 
<laughs> my husband is my husband is I, I, obviously people can't see this interview, but I'm African American. My husband is white. Our daughter is Hispanic, and then our two biological children are obviously biracial. She's like, you've got like the UN, you do have the UN, <laughs> you know. And so, like, and, and I I love it. I think it's beautiful, but I that's not what I would have pictured, you know. And so, just being open to how God wants to grow your family and trusting that He has a plan in mind, and it could look very different and that could be scary to you, but it could be exactly what you need. And he knows what we need and different is usually what we need different from what our, you know, kind of sanitized dreams are. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I think that's, and you know, and the reality is that often that's a richer experience, right? What we anticipate for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So a, a couple of little, uh, experience questions um, for you. One, what's it like to love a child as if they are your own, knowing that, you know, you're not promised another day with them in your home? How do you, so I think, that, that can be heart, heart-wrenching for a lot of people. And right. It could be a reason why people don't want to go through that process. Right. Well, I think that that is one of the things if I may be so bold, I think a lot of people say that like, well, I could never, I could never is honestly kind of a cop out because the fact is like kids need you to be attached. Like they need that attachment. They need that affection that, um, you know, that encouragement from you, that relationship with you. And so people who become foster parents, like they're not, becoming foster parents because they can't attach or that they aren't going to be heartbroken when they leave. Like, (laughs) you know, they just have decided that it's worth that pain. essentially. And so when you are loving and pouring into a child in that way, Mm. um, there is this fear of like, man, like, what if they go, what if they leave? And it does hurt a lot. Mm. Um, But then there are also situations where maybe a child, like it's been really hard for your family to care for them. And so then you have to deal with the guilt of like, when they do leave, it's like a relief and it like alleviates some tension in the family. Like, how do you deal with that? Were you bad or or not a good foster parent because you didn't attach as well? And I think that sometimes then you can have that shame of, Oh man, like I could have done this. I could have done that. And the fact is like, you were obedient and each child in your life is supposed to, or in each child, the life of your home, they, they are in there for a season. And sometimes that's two months. Sometimes that's a year. Sometimes that's forever. Um, but you have to trust that the Lord is going to continue to work in their life. And so I think that my, the way that I've been able to like kind of work through that and reconcile that is by praying for the kids. And then also remembering that like, I'm just a small part of like the story that God is weaving in their lives. And like, he has, he's already doing so much in their lives. Like the kids that we have welcomed into our home every single time we have heard stories of like different things that have happened before they came to us that we know was preparing them for us, like to open their eyes to the gospel or like people who were already praying for them. Like there were people in our church that like worked in their school and said like, Ooh, I've been worried about her or, you know, I've been worried about so-and-so or I've been praying for them. You know, I've been really trying to help in this situation. And I'm so glad that y'all have been able to be a part, you know, like, so we see like God's hand, has already been moving. And so just because they leave our home doesn't mean that he's going to stop 
moving in their lives. Like <laughs> he's going to keep working in their lives and the same, and he's going to keep working in our lives too. So I think that's been like just holding mm-hmm. on to his sovereignty and seeing that he, he really does have a plan and he's in all of the details has been very comforting. And that's helped with that. You take God's sovereignty out of any equation and it, it gets scary and messy. Real oh yeah. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've had friends that have gone down through the adoption route and they have really struggled with the way the court systems work and some of the agencies and a lot of there can be a lot of corruption and and, and problems. Mm-hmm. What's been sort of your experience with courts? Um, whatever yeah. you whatever you're sharing, <laughs> whatever you feel feel comfortable to share. <clears throat> yeah, I mean the court system is. I mean it can be a mess. It can be very difficult because you know you've got so many different parties involved in foster care. That's one thing that you don't realize until you're in the thick of it is you've got a lot of people involved. So, you know, you may have a, you usually will have like a therapist for the child. You've got that child's, um, hopefully they have a CASA, which is a court appointed special advocate. And they sometimes will act as a guardian ad litem for them. You have a lawyer, you have a lawyer for the defects side. You have the defects, um, which is, you know, the department of family and children's services. You have, um, the caseworker, you have caseworkers for the parents, you have possibly the, you know, the parents attorney. I mean, then you've got the judge, like it's so many people. And so getting that many people to be able to like talk through things reasonably to represent things honestly with integrity to tell the whole story it's a lot. And, you know, we had some situations in court that were not good that we felt like, you know, the truth was not represented. Um, and then we also had situations where, you know, we had a care team of people that, that, um, helped with, a like li- the burden of foster care and helped us with, um, meals and practical things. And now you said we'd circle back to kind of that church community aspect, but one of the things that they did in particular was to pray for court dates. And so when that time would come, our care team leader would send out an email and say, Hey, sign up for these time slots leading up to during and after the court hearing that the Mathesons have. And there were times where we said like, we really need y'all to be praying for this because we need this to happen or, you know, it's going to be postponed till forever, you know, whatever. And so there were times where we saw the Lord really show up and we know it's because of prayer that mm-hmm. people were fighting on their knees, fighting and contending with the courts of heaven so mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. these things on earth would, yeah. <laughs> would be for the child's favor and for their interests instead of just whatever was convenient or easy for the courts that day. Mm-hmm. Maybe walk us through some of the most rewarding moments and some of the most challenging moments. I think we've probably touched a little bit on some of those, but to kind of put the spotlight on, on, you know, the, the highs and the lows, so to speak. Yeah, I think, well, I'll start with the low so we can end on a happy note. Good. Well thought. <laughs> So I think the low was with our first placement, there was a lot of miscommunication. Between you and the children? um, uh, No, sorry, I should have clarified. Yeah, with the county um, that um, was working with the children um, that had placed the children in our home, there was some miscommunication and some dishonesty on their part. And so there was a lot that we 
could have and needed to know (laughs) before saying yes that we just did not know and they were just you know trying to get these kids into a place and you know like and we're like wait you knew this you know like there were things that like were coming up that they like were aware of and that they could have helped us understand better so that we could better deal with them but that we just didn't know and so we felt very you know just misled kind of used and then because of that lack of awareness about some issues that would have really helped us to uh, kind of come at the situation in a different way and, and different perspective and um you know there was just kind of this lack of trust for us, I think that they had, because we were trying to make sure that we were on the up and up. And, um, and so when the kids left it, like I said earlier, you know, it wasn't our choice. They were like, well, you know, we're just going to go ahead and move them somewhere else since y'all aren't able to handle it. That was kind of the attitude. (laughs) And so that was very, I mean, that was very difficult, especially for our first placement because we were like, we said yes to this because we were obeying the Lord. And so that was a big low because it was like, you know, we felt like we had given them everything, you know, we had poured out so much. And as I said before, like the Lord redeemed a lot of that, but that was a big low and could have very easily made us just say, no, like, we're not going to do this anymore. And there are many families that, you know, they call it like one and done where that first placement, they are not well prepared and, you know, or they're not well matched and it's not a good fit for their family or their season or whatever, for whatever reason, it's just extremely difficult. And it's, it's difficult in, in and of itself because of the nature of things, but then there are other factors that can make it even more difficult. And so when that happens, like in foster families are like, I'm done. Like, why would I do this again? Right. Right. You know, I mean, then, you know, there's more kids and not enough homes like that. That just is perpetuated. So that was definitely a low, but I'm just, you know, we're just very grateful that the Lord allowed us to have some time to rest and heal from that. And then say yes, with different perspective, different boundaries, knowing what questions to ask, you know, all the information. Sure. Yeah. And it really prepared us for the next step. Um, and then a high, I think would be just, you know, being so surprised by like, just, I guess, God's sense of humor, his, I don't even know what to call it, but you know, just the way that he works, his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So, I mean, I just turned 35. My daughter just turned 20. I never thought that I would have a 20 year old at age 35. Like it just doesn't make sense. And that's just funny to me, obviously. Um, and so, but the high from that is just that, you know, she just fits in our family so well, she gets along so well with our younger kids and they love and adore her. And so just watching like the fact that like, I could not have written this story. Like I would never have written this into my story. When my husband and I talked about adoption on our first date, I don't think either of us were thinking that we would adopt a teenager. Like, you know, we were like, Oh, adoption. That's so sweet. You know, um, like we would get like a little baby. Oh, you know? And so, it's just, I think that's the high is just like seeing that God clearly knows what he's doing. And I don't. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, what is maybe the one thing that you feel like people misunderstand about fostering that you would, you would want to clarify for them? If, if you could kind of put your finger on like one thing and you could just have a minute with them. Let me tell you this thing. Well, I think that a lot of times people kind of want to put foster parents on a pedestal Mm. and believe that they are like superhuman or super Christian. I know for us, like, 
people are like, oh, that is just so amazing that you guys are doing that. Like, that's so, oh, like, just bless you, you know? And you're like, listen, if you saw what was happening in between these four walls, like, it's not looking that heavenly. Like, <laughs> you know, you're like, it's a lot of tension. This is, this is actually very difficult. You know, like, it's not yeah. like all sunshine and rainbows. So I think I would want people to know that, like, you don't have to be a superhuman or a super Christian. Like, obviously, like, there is a level of maturity that the Lord needs to bring you to. And, you know, there's that obedience factor, all of that stuff. But the fact is, like, we're normal people. And, you know, I think what helped us, like, as we were, like, in the process of going through, like, before we started our training and during our training and all that, before we became licensed foster parents, was we were able to serve on one of those care teams that I was talking about earlier. So we signed up to be able to support a foster family in our church. And, you know, we would bring them a meal like once a month, there was like a group of us. And so they had like once a week, you know, somebody brought them a meal. And so we, once a month when it was our turn, they would invite us to come and like, just eat with them. And so just like seeing them and like, we knew them personally before we like were serving on their team. And we were like, I mean, they're normal. Like they're not like unapproachable or like super pious or holier than thou. Or, you know, it's not like they were like walking around like mother Teresa, you know, like we were like, Oh, like they're normal. Like, okay. If they can do it, like we could do it, you know? And so just like, as people say is like normalizing the fact that we're normal people. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think that's a really helpful reminder. Cause I think you're right. I think we can get in that mentality of like, you're in a special tier of Christian uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> where you're doing that, you know, versus like, we're all called to serve in different capacities. We all have different giftings. This is just a particular one that, that um, you as a couple were called to. Uh, Jessica, I think probably there'll be some people who are fostering, who, who are listening to this. Uh, and hopefully if uh, listeners, if you know someone who's, who is fostering or thinking about fostering, we of course would hope that you would share this episode with them. But if you had an encouragement to foster parents who are maybe feeling discouraged, maybe if you could talk to yourself while you're doing that first placement and things were all over the place, um, you know, discouraged, wounded, maybe even burnt out, what advice would you give them? Yeah. So I think that it's very easy to allow foster care to become like your whole life because it can be very all consuming and it legitimately is like having like another, I mean, I say part-time, it's like having another full-time job, honestly. I mean, because like, not only are you like trying to parent these children and like support them and come alongside them, but like you have all this paperwork, the kids have a gajillion appointments And, you know, when we, in our first placement, and I guess in our second, but um, pretty much, you know, right up until I had my son, like I was still working full time. My husband, obviously, I mean, not obviously, but obviously was working full time. And so, I mean, it was a lot like, and I was just like, how do people do this? You know? And so I think just understanding that like, you have to ask for help. And one thing I would say to people, if they're considering fostering is like, if you don't have people that, you know, like that, you know, would support you and that would be there for you. Because if you don't have people that are going to surround you and that are going to not only like pray for you and, you know, be able to be a listening ear, but also just practically like know that they could come over for an hour. You and your husband could go on a date or so that you could like go to the store by yourself. Like, 
you know, like, or, you know, you whatever. Think of, right? right. It's, it's nearly impossible to do it without burning out. Even when you have all of that support, you can still feel burnt out because it is so hard. And yeah. so I would say, you know, make sure that you are not afraid to ask for help, like with mental health, because like the secondary trauma that can be brought on through the difficult things that you're walking through with kids, um, the different stories that you're exposed to, like that can really you and that can be extremely difficult if, if you have like extreme behaviors and just some really hard deep dark stuff mm-hmm. um it's totally fine for you to also be seeing a therapist you probably need to be like it's yeah. a lot yeah. and you know we have the body of christ and you know there are obviously you want to have people in your life that are also walking that same journey, but you don't want to have only foster family friends. Like there needs to be, you need to be able to be be talking to people outside of that as well so that you can support them and whatever their unique calling is too. Um, But yeah, I would just say, don't be afraid to ask for help and know that it really is important to take care of yourself because you could wear yourself out trying to care for the kids and keep all of the balls in the air. And then, you know, if you're not taking care of yourself and attending to your spiritual and mental and emotional health and also attending to your marriage, if you're married, I mean, mm. it's, it's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> yeah, you everything out. Um, you've talked about the need for the body of Christ to come and support. So let's flip the script and come on the from the other side of things and say, how would you advise people who are listening to this who know foster families or even adoption families who are struggling and need help? How can the church come alongside? What are some practical ways that non-fostering families can come alongside and help uh, those that are serving in this capacity? So I think the biggest thing is that when people are in the midst of this, it's easy for you to say, let me know if you need anything, but like they are so covered up that they're probably not going to just be like, help me, you know? So (laughs) yes, instead of saying, let me know if you need anything. And then like hoping that they're going to let you know, just do it. So say like, Hey, I would love to pick little Johnny up from baseball. Can I take care of that for you? Or I'd love to bring you dinner on Wednesday nights. What are y'all's favorite things to eat? Or can I give you a gift card for Chick-fil-A or Hey, when you have a court hearing coming up, let me know. Like I'd love to watch the kids or, um, later that day so that you could have some time to decompress from all of that. Or, Hey, can I, I'm going to bring you Starbucks. Like remind me what your drink order is. I'm going to put it on your porch. I don't even have to come in. Like, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> just do it because like, it is very difficult to sometimes be able to kind of claw yourself out and be like, Oh yeah, it'd be really helpful. If so, and so could do this. And yeah, yeah. But like, just, just, just say, Hey, I'm going to do this for you. You know, I had a friend that was, that was like that, that would say like, Hey, I'd love to take the kids. Will you just look at some days and let me know? Like, I'd love for you to just drop them off. And I was like, I sure can let you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's the reality. So, yeah. So with that, I mean, are there any requirements for, families who want to help give relief? Do you have to do any kind of training or anything? Yes. If it's overnight, I think there are some requirements and it varies from state to state. So you would have to check with your state and your county. Um, I think right now they've made it easier because it used to be so difficult that foster parents were like, we can't ever get a break if like everybody has to go through this huge training, you know? Yeah. 
Um, so there, is, I think that they lifted some of the requirements. Um, and but yeah, I would say you'd have to look into what is required with your state, and just you you can just ask the family. You know, like hey, if if you guys wanted to get away for an evening, like would it be okay if so and so at our house and hung out with our kids or do we need to do anything special for that? Like you can just ask. So, Okay. And then just our last question here, someone who's thinking about starting this journey, where do they start? Where do they, do they have to go to a website? Do they, you know, is there an organization they need to find and communicate with? What's, how do you, how do you get your feet in the water? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing I would say is prayer. So my husband and I, we were given a book. It was a devotional and it was specifically for families who were thinking about starting foster care. So we read through that. And it just gave us a clearer picture of what it could look like. So praying, reading, hearing from other foster families, learning from, you know, just praying through, okay, I'd really like to meet with someone who is actually doing this so I could pick their brain and kind of learn from them. Like, Lord, will you put that person into my path? (laughs) Um, So learning from people who are already doing it so that you can get a real understanding of what it's like in the day to day, but I would say just prayer and saying like, Lord, prepare my heart and help me to know like what next step to take. And he really, I mean, he'll do that. (laughs) He'll answer that prayer. That's so wonderful. Jessica, I'm so grateful that we had this uh, time to talk and, and, you know, put a helpful light on uh, fostering and what it looks like and, you know, the, the burdens, the requirements, but also the joys and, um, you know, the needs that are out there and, and seeing them for what they are. And so we're, we're grateful for your ministry. Uh, again, your two books, Praying for Your Foster Children, A 30-Day Guide, and An Overwhelming Hope, How the Spirit Brings Peace to Our Storms. Jessica Matheson, we're so grateful for you taking the time in your minivan uh, to <laughs> have a candid conversation with us. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I so enjoyed it. Of course. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It does help people to find us. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.